Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season of Advent. Have you ever wondered, if the Messiah has come, why doesn't the world look more like the kingdom of God? Or perhaps you've asked, or someone around has asked, if Christianity has been around for 2,000 years, why isn't the world more Christian? Why this gap between the promise and the results? Why the distance between what I had hoped for in my life and what I've received? Well, these are honest, tough questions, good questions to ask this season of Advent. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. This, of course, is what we proclaim every year at Christmas. And yet we proclaim this in a world that still is filled with sickness and pain, suffering and death, wars and rumors of wars, a world that's still very dark. If you are aware of the gap between what has been promised at Christmas and the way the world is now and have asked the hard question, well, where's God in all this? What's God been doing? Then you know why the early church prayed, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know why they sang, Christ has come. Christ will come again. That's why they remembered what Jesus said about his return at the end of the age and why the scriptures are careful to record it. For you see, Jesus Christ is not yet finished with this world. He's coming again to finish what began that first Christmas. Contrary to ancient Israel's expectation, the Messiah came the first time, not in power and judgment as a conquering hero, but he came in humility and gentle love as a baby lying in a manger. In doing so, God invaded this broken world in a quiet, unassuming way so as to win human hearts. With the first coming of Christ, the fix was in. The kingdom of God had come in Jesus, and it's been growing ever since as he continues to extend his rule over human hearts one by one. But a day is coming when he will come with power and will finally right all wrongs and usher in an era of justice and peace. On that day, the wolf shall lie down with the lamb and swords will be turned into plowshares. On that day, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, all creation will find its completion and fulfillment in him, and all shall be light and joy and peace. That surely should fill us all with incredible hope. If we thought his first coming was glorious, what with choirs of angels singing, think how glorious his second coming will be. David Peterson, former pastor at First Presbyterian Church in Spokane, told about a time when he was preparing a sermon. His little daughter came in and said, Daddy, can we play? He answered, well, I'm awfully sorry, sweetheart, but I'm right in the middle of preparing the sermon. In about an hour, I can play. She said, okay, when you're finished, Daddy, I'm gonna give you a great big hug. And he said, well, thank you very much. She went to the door, and these are his words. Then she did a U-turn and came back and gave me a chiropractic bone-breaking hug. And David said to her, Sweetheart, you said you were going to give me a hug after I finished. And she answered, Daddy, I just wanted you to know what you have to look forward to. Well, one meaning of Christmas is, is that God wants us to know through his first coming how much we have to look forward to in his second coming. And oh, what a day that will be. It has always been the faith of the church that Jesus Christ will come again in glory. When Jesus' earthly life came to an end, at the moment he returned to heaven, two angels said to his disciples who watched him go, This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Over and over again, the Bible affirms that wonderful truth. The Bible ends with the Lord's words, surely I'm coming soon. And John adds, amen, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. That makes me think of the pastor who was speaking about the Lord's return one Sunday morning and suggested that it would be a good idea if the parishioners, and instead of using the normal greetings, would use the one popularized by the early church. He pointed out that the believers were awaiting the return of Christ so eagerly that they habitually used the words Maranatha, an Aramaic word for the Lord is coming as their greeting. And the idea was warmly embraced, particularly by two uh, little old ladies who, when they met the pastor in the grocery store the next morning, shouted in unison, marijuana, pastor, marijuana. Well, you know, close phonetically, but uh, actually not close at all. So, so we Christians necessarily live in a tension between his first coming and his second coming. This is a waiting time. We await Christ's return with patience and hope. We look for him to come again, singing the words of the Advent hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. We wait, remembering the truth of lamentations. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Our New Testament scripture lesson today answers two Advent questions. When will Jesus return, and what do we do in the meantime? We'll listen to Jesus' words as we read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, beginning at verse 32. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. It's pretty clear that those who wait for the second coming are not to speculate as to when that, that may be. We just don't know. No one knows. In fact, that's underscored three times in the passage. Of that day, no one knows. You do not know when the time will come. You do not know when the owner of the house will return. And yet there have always been those who were just sure they knew. Uh, there have always been those who have been obsessed with drawing up timetables. Years ago, just about every church in America was sent a little booklet entitled, 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in 1988. You know, I saved it, I still have it somewhere. And the booklet is amazing in its detail. It's carefully, it carefully calculates that Christ will come at the Feast of Rosh Hashanah during a weekend in September. I read later that when it was pointed out to the author that the Bible tells us quite clearly that we do not know the day or the hour, the response simply was, well, we may not know the day or the hour, but that doesn't mean we don't know the year or the month and the week. 
Well, here we are, what, 32 years later? For the life of me, I don't know why some folks think they know more than Jesus. So we're not to speculate, don't worry about it. But the text says somebody does know, and that is the Father. The word Father uh, that's used here, Abba, well, that's a comforting thought. God is of the nature of a loving Father, and Father knows best. Because of who he is, we can trust his wisdom and his timing. He knows what's best for his children. So you and I are called to wait for his eventual return in faith and hope. God knows what God is doing. Wait, he says. But we are also called to watch. As we saw, Jesus tells the story of the master who goes away and leaves his servants with work to do and assigns only the doorkeeper to do the watching. To be watchful is to do work. It's to be faithful to what God has called, the master has called us to do. It's about being a good steward of what belongs to the master. We're not to engage in idle speculation about the future, sitting around and guessing when the master may return. But rather, we're to feed the hungry, heal the sick, house the homeless, befriend the stranger, give the enemy a cup of cold water, love your neighbor. That's what you and I are supposed to do. To watch is to work. There's a, a Jewish rabbinic saying that is instructive in this regard. If you are planting a tree and you hear that the Messiah has come, finish planting the tree, then go and inquire. And that fits in with what Jesus is teaching here about watching having to do with working. You don't know when the master will return. Nobody knows. Just keep working. Just keep on being faithful. Do the work of the Lord. Keep planting. Keep building and watch. There's a sense in which you and I should live each day as though it were our last. You and I should live each day as if Christ was going to come back at any moment. Martin Luther said that much. He says, we're to believe and live and love and work as though Jesus Christ died yesterday, rose today, and is coming tomorrow. And if you and I really did that, think how our lives would change. There would be a, a great sense of urgency to our living. We would do the things that mattered most. We would make it our chief aim to please our master Christ. We would do what he wants us to do. The way to watch and be ready for the Lord's return is to be busy about the Lord's business. Don't let him find you asleep on the job. As the Apostle Paul put it in his letter to the Romans, chapter 13, beginning of verse 11, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the way that Eugene Peterson renders this verse in his contemporary version of the New Testament. But make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day -day obligations that you lose track of the time and doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. 
God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when, he, when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute, must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around in dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up and about. Advent is a season of waiting and watching, and you and I are not to wait and watch passively for the Lord. It's about being, doing his work, living in the light. Watch, says Jesus. It occurred to me that perhaps watching means something else too. Maybe watching isn't so much about what we're supposed to do as much as it is about what God is about to do. Maybe we are to watch in the sense of watch this, the way a magician will get our attention, pulling something up his sleeve and then goes on to do something absolutely dazzling, something that you never would have expected to happen, not in this world. Maybe the word watch also carries a sense of watch this. You ain't seen nothing yet. You think the baby in the manger was something? Well, watch this. What I say to you, I say to all, you just watch. Jesus Christ is coming again. Maranatha.